when Casey and I lived in Virginia, we had a small first floor apartment. It was a great little home, except one thing. We got a lot of bugs being on that first floor. In fact, that's where I first learned what a house centipede is. If you're not familiar with house centipedes, they are wildly fast and as ugly and creepy as you might imagine. So to combat these unwanted house guests, I would put sticky bug traps out in different areas, like under furniture. Sure enough, the traps worked. But because of those traps, I discovered a worse house guest, whose presence I had been previously blissfully unaware of. Now, let me just say that I, I wouldn't say that I'm scared of spiders. I just really, really don't like them. But I might have been a little scared of that spider. I looked down one morning at a trap and there it was. It had a large body, long legs. It looked like it could carry small children off. As time went on, more and more of these spiders would get caught. But I never saw them during the day. And that worried me a little. Because I looked. I looked everywhere that I could to find out where they were coming into our apartment from. Where they might be living. And I never found them. I researched them and found that they were common in that area. That didn't comfort me. The reason that I saw them on traps in the morning is because these spiders, like many spiders, they're nocturnal. They come out at night to hunt. They are creatures of the night. There's a part of me that was certain I would step on one if I walked around at night, or I'd see one creeping in the corner munching on a house centipede. But the more that I learned about them, the more I realized that while they thrive in the hours of darkness, they were nothing to be feared. Christians, we live in a world shrouded in spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness is the domain of the devil, where all unbelievers live in sin and unbelief. Those who do not put their faith in Jesus, the light of the world, are the ones who remain in that darkness. They love the darkness and the deeds that they commit in it. They are creatures of darkness. But not so for us believers. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. But what is this darkness that so many remain captive to? As we turn together to John chapter 18 this morning, we will see truths about spiritual darkness, why we do not need to be terrified by it, and how we ought to respond to it. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, we're going to see the darkest hour that has ever occurred in human history. And as that hour came upon the earth, many who love wickedness came out to commit their evil deeds. Let's pick up there together in chapter 18, verse 1. It says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. 
If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. Let's pause right here. In the cover of night, wicked men came to arrest the Savior. Oh, how often sinful deeds happen in the cover of literal darkness. What a fitting symbol for the sinful darkness people live in. Fearing natural light as much as spiritual light, these wicked souls, in step with the devil, came to arrest the Son of God. Their wickedness knew no bounds, like Judas Iscariot, who Luke's gospel tells us betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But recognize, dear Christians, the power of the one we serve. The very words from the mouth of Jesus brought these wicked men to the ground. And they should have stayed on the ground. They should have stayed on their faces and worshipped the one who is clearly the Son of God. But they persisted. These evil men clung to their unbelief, slaves to sin, coming to bind the only one who could set them free. Believers, weep for souls such as these. Be heartbroken over those who cling to unbelief. Pray that they would fall down in faith and worship the Son of God while they still can in this life. But they held no true power in this moment. It wasn't by their own strength that they bound Jesus Christ. It was not by their trickery and arriving at night in the garden. Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. And Jesus demonstrated with the power of his words that he was in charge of the situation. As Jesus had told his disciples on countless occasions, he was going to willingly lay down his life. These enemies, they might claim victory as they brought Jesus bound from trial to trial, but it was only because Jesus allowed it. This was the hour for which Jesus had come to the earth. He didn't need to be rescued by the misguided love of the poor swordsman Peter. In fact, Matthew's gospel records that in that moment, Jesus turned to Peter and told him, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus didn't need to be rescued. But this is why Jesus came, to drink down the cup of judgment we deserve for our sins, for the sins that all of us have committed, even the sins of those arresting him. And here in the garden, this spiritual darkness was on full display. Surely that darkness confused the disciples and it consumed the wicked crowd. But let us not be confused by the spiritual darkness that consumes people today, believers. Christians, understand this first about spiritual darkness. It is weak compared to our Savior. Spiritual darkness, that realm of unbelief, sin, the devil, demons, and unbelievers, is nothing that can stand on its own legs. Before Jesus, the darkness stumbles backwards. It's only able to stand when Jesus allows it. Jesus, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and holds all authority, willingly allowed his enemies to arrest him. Luke chapter 22 records that Jesus looked at those sinners in this moment and said, But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This was that hour, the time when spiritual darkness would reign. Oh, but it would only have this small portion of time. It can only have what is allotted to it, allowed it by the God of the universe, because the darkness cannot make for itself anything. 
It is weak. It is worthless. And those within it who choose not to willingly bow before Jesus in this life will later fall before him in submission at the end of this life. Believers, spiritual darkness, for all its boasting of power and pleasure and promises, it is actually weak. It cannot compare to the greatness of our Savior. So do not fear its threats. Do not fear what physical harm those within it might bring. On our own, spiritual darkness can overwhelm us. But we are not on our own. Our Savior is always with us. Let's keep going in John chapter 18 together. It says, They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm, and Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Keep your place right here in John chapter 18. Taking all the gospel accounts together, Jesus went to numerous trials as his enemies looked for ways to justify killing him. He was brought before Annas, then Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, then Pilate, then Herod, and finally Pilate once more. John's gospel focuses on the first and last men the Lord stood before, which gives a good summary of how all the trials truly went. The first was Annas. Here was a man who should have been a spiritual guide to the people, but he was one of those blind guides Jesus warned his disciples about in Matthew chapter 14. And we find that Annas didn't come prepared to level specific accusations against Jesus, but instead he came with questions, no doubt intended to trap Jesus in his words. You know that trick they had tried and failed to use many times on Jesus during his ministry. But Jesus pointed out that there weren't any secrets. Jesus had preached openly to crowds big and small. They could just ask the multitudes who had heard him. The Jews tried this, by the way. Matthew's Gospel tells us that when Jesus later stood before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they were looking for people to bring false evidence, accusations they could use against Jesus. People who would come and say, well, I heard Jesus say this. But even in all of these things, they still came up empty. Jesus' simple reply to Annas revealed that there were no legitimate accusations they could bring against him. When Jesus responded this way, he was speaking the truth, as he always does. But the world, the realm of spiritual darkness, has no answer for the truth. 
All it can do is stubbornly deny the truth. But you know, denial by itself is an empty thing. Usually it leads to anger and hatred. That's why the official hit Jesus in the face. It's why at his other trials the Jews spit in Jesus' face and punched him. It's why Herod and his soldiers mocked him. The darkness hates the light. So they deny it and attack it. We're going to see this more. Let's, let's return to Peter in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Again, believers, those in spiritual darkness deny the light of God's truth and lash out against the truth. In their anger, they hate anyone associated with that light. That's why Jesus told the disciples the world would hate and persecute them. But here's the thing about spiritual darkness. Not only do those within it deny the truth, they want you to do the same thing. If you join them in their denial, they might spare you their wrath. That was the temptation Peter faced. Identify with Jesus and face the vicious attacks of these sinners or deny Jesus and go unnoticed. How many Christians today choose to deny and go unnoticed? The temptation can come at any moment, even to those walking closely with the Lord. Remember, the disciples fled when Jesus was arrested. They left him all alone. But then we were told that Peter and another disciple, most likely John, began to follow at a distance. Some might have even called those two disciples quite brave. But even as Peter tried to stay in close proximity to the Lord, fear came and gripped his heart. And then he gave in to temptation and denied Jesus. The moment the rooster crowed, Luke's gospel records that Jesus looked straight at Peter. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, believers, let's stand for the truth no matter what those in the darkness do. The cost of discipleship is steep. Understand that the darkness denies the truth and it wants you to do the same. If you do not, they will attack. They will lash out. They will come against you. But woe to us if we cave to such pressure. Grief and bitterness will be ours, a strained relationship with our Lord. Many believers have faced the temptation of Peter. Identify and die, or deny and survive. I pray if we ever face that temptation, that we would be found standing firm. There's more for us to see this morning. Let's continue in John chapter 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. What hypocrisy the religious leaders displayed here. They wanted to be sure they wouldn't be ceremonially unclean before Passover. Oh, they wanted to eat Passover with a clear conscience before God, all while orchestrating the murder of the Son of God. And this is what many unbelievers living in spiritual darkness want. They want to feel good about religion and try and earn their way to God. What they don't want to do is believe and submit to Jesus Christ. When Pilate said, what is truth? This statement revealed something about his heart, the hearts of the religious leaders, and all those in spiritual darkness. It revealed that those who deny the truth live in spiritual ignorance. By rejecting the light of truth, they wander around blind to the truth of Christ in the gospel. And this spiritual ignorance is a result of their willful disbelief. And spiritual darkness thrives on that ignorance. It's in that ignorance that people convince themselves that, like Pilate, no truth exists, or like the Jews, they convince themselves that they can create their own truth through religious works to earn favor with God. The domain of darkness thrives on spiritual ignorance. Because if people simply walk around with their eyes closed on their own accord, they'll be too busy with denial and man-made religion to see the light of the gospel. But you see, their ignorance does not remove their sin. I want us to go a little bit further. Look now at John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, 
You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Even those as spiritually ignorant as Pilate can get a glimpse of truth from time to time. Do not question God's ability to pierce through to stubborn hearts. Pilate tried to set Jesus free. It's as though for a brief a brief moment of time, a window in Pilate's heart cracked open and some light of truth began to pour in. But as quickly as it opened, that window slammed shut. If he desired to set Jesus free, why didn't Pilate do that? Because as you'll notice, Pilate became afraid. Afraid of the people accusing him of being opposed to Caesar, afraid of losing his position, afraid of losing his life for protecting an innocent life. Spiritual darkness thrives on fear. Just as it thrived on Peter's fear in the courtyard, it thrived on Pilate's fear before the Jews. Pilate feared man more than God. He feared the ones who could ruin his career and his life rather than fearing the one with power over his soul. In the same way, many are held captive to spiritual darkness today because they are bound by fear. Fear of what letting go of all their sin will mean. Fear of what people will think if they give their life to Christ. Fear of following a God who demands their whole life. Fear of rejection from others. And so they go along with every sin and every idol that is presented, nodding their head in agreement. Fear. Darkness thrives on it. And this was the hour darkness reigned. It was on full display in the hearts of men. And it wasn't over yet. But this is where we close this morning. Next week, we'll continue looking at this dark hour that occurred all those years ago as Jesus took our penalty and punishment for sin. But this morning, our goal was to understand more of the spiritual darkness, that domain that so many people continue to wander in today. The question, of course, is, as Christians, why why consider spiritual darkness at all? So here's a few reasons for us as we close, believers. First, when we better understand the domain of darkness that we once lived in, we should be found rejoicing that Jesus saved us from it. We should rejoice that we do not walk around any longer in blind ignorance, stubborn denial, bound by fear and indulging in sin. We should rejoice. Second, As we understand the depth of this darkness, we should be found desperately seeking to see others set free. As we understand what holds them back, we'll be better prepared to shine the light of truth in their lives. So let's each find someone we can share the truth of the gospel with this week. And finally, I pray we would understand that we do not need to fear the darkness. The enemies of God can come against us. They can threaten us, imprison us, torture and kill us as they've done to Christians down through the centuries. 
but they can never remove us from our Savior. The darkness is strong towards us, but it is weak in the presence of our Savior. So let's always be found by his side, always found sharing him with others. Believers, I'll leave you with this verse this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 says, But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, believers, there is much for us to rejoice in. There is little for us to fear. Nothing to fear when we rely and rest in the arms of our Savior. And there are many for us to share the gospel with. If you are joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, understand that the takeaway for you this morning is for you to understand that the spiritual darkness that you live in right now, if you choose not to come to Jesus Christ in faith, then that darkness is going to lead to an eternity in the darkness of hell. Hell is described in the Bible as a place of outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of torment. But understand that God does not desire for you to go there. It is not his desire that you would be separated forever from him in hell. And I say this with great confidence because it is for this very reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ came to die for you and me, to take the punishment for our sins, our sins which are separating us from God, those sins which deserve the punishment of hell. But Jesus took that penalty and wrath for us. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead three days later, proving that he is the Son of God. And right now he stands in heaven waiting to offer you the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins, if only you will give your life to him. The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you have never done that, please know you can do it right now, no matter where you are. Let's pray together. Friend, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, then go to him right now in prayer. Admit to him that you're a sinner, but that you know he died on the cross, you believe he rose from the dead, and give him your life, and he will save you. Father, I pray that if there is anyone joining us who has never made that decision, that today, today they would give their life to Jesus Christ. That today they would step out of that spiritual darkness and that they would step into the light of your truth. That they would be set free. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you would help us not to fear the darkness, the threats that it makes, or even the harm that those within the darkness bring towards us, but instead help us to confidently, boldly share you with others. And help us to rejoice, to rejoice that you rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Father, I pray that in all we say and do, you would be glorified. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We love you, and as always, we thank you for loving us so much more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.